You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for supporting The Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Today, we continue our conversation in the Set Apart to Serve series, and we continue considering second career opportunities to serve in ministry. My guest today, the Reverend Dr. Mark Wood, Managing Director for Church Planting, Renewal, and Support in the LCMS Office of National Mission. Now, you might remember Pastor Wood from uh, numerous conversations here on the Coffee Hour about a variety of things, witness and outreach, Lassie being a word that we share a lot when talking about outreach. And now we get to share your personal story a little bit more. Pastor Wood, thanks for joining us today. Oh, it's great. People probably get the impression I just hang out at your studio doors just waiting for an opportunity to get on the air. <laughs> Not far from the truth, but, but it's great to be back. Always good to chat with you. And usually we're talking about something you're working on. In this story, we get to talk about how the Lord worked on you. <laughs> Flip it a little bit, right? There you go. So as we're talking about Set Apart to Serve and encouraging people to consider church work vocations, we get to share your story. When we'll talk about when seminary came into the picture, but before seminary, what was life like? Um, what was career like before seminary even came into the picture? Well, in my first career, I was working in the defense industry after serving in the Air Force for six years of active duty and kind of just finding my way. I didn't really have a career plan. And I found out found I was a niche. I had gotten a degree in computer programming learning ancient languages like COBOL and Fortran. And I was really eager to put that to use. And I, But I ended up in an in a administrative role in an engineering department where I discovered something called earned value management. And it just brought everything together because it was using computers, working with people. It was analytical. And I ended up building a really successful career in this area of project management systems. So, so I, was a, I was the president of an international software user group and moving up in staff positions in Motorola where I was working at the time. And then I, I got a position with Magnavox in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And, and so really a good career, a rewarding career, and, and actually paid well too. So that's a great combination. So, Great career, great pay. You also happened to be in Fort Wayne, Indiana. What was your connection to the church at this time? Well, I was very active as a layperson. I had come back to the church while I was in the Air Force. I had kind of drifted away, ran away, screaming <laughs> from the church in, into a number of life decisions that took me far away. But by God's grace, I came back to the church in my early 20s and plugged in right away. I got very active in a congregation so I ended up serving in various capacities from Board of Evangelism to the Sunday School Superintendent, served as an elder in two different churches. So I got to see the church function from the lay leader's perspective and worked very closely with the pastors of the congregations where I, where I belonged. So, When did you first start thinking then about seminary and becoming a pastor? Well, interestingly, when I was about 10 years old or so, used to take my mom's hymnal and and my brother and I would hold services <laughs> for our family and I was I was in the Lutheran schools at the time during my childhood I was in and out of Lutheran schools but at the time 
And it was a very turbulent time in life because my parents were divorced and my mom was a single mom and the Lutheran schools were kind of a, a place of refuge. And there were teachers who took interest in me and encouraged me. And I thought, maybe I should maybe I should be a pastor. Maybe I could be a church worker. But then again, I said, I wandered very far from the church, very far away from all that. And it was just filed away. And, mm-hmm. But when I came back to the church and got involved, it, that came back too. The idea that I might be a pastor one day. So. In the middle of this very successful career, well-paying career that, that you were enjoying. When did you start thinking, though, I perhaps I, I would set this aside to become a student again in order to become a pastor? What was that thought process like and the conversations, I'm sure, that surrounded it? Well, I had actually went to the seminary full-time in 87 and 88, and because of a family crisis, had to leave. So I, I moved back to Arizona, where our home was, and it was several years later that the opportunity to take this position in Fort Wayne came up. And, uh, and there I was in the shadow of the seminary, still thinking, well, maybe I could go back. And I was really wrestling with it. There were a lot of dynamics involved, and I didn't know what to do. And uh, one of the members of the church we belonged to is a professor at the seminary, John Salaska, who's now sainted. And uh, I asked him to lunch one day and took him to lunch. I just don't know what to do. I keep weighing these things. I, I'm, here's my hesitations. Here's, here's my desires. What should I do? And he goes, let the church tell you what to do. He goes, just apply and don't try to carry this burden by yourself. The church can inform you. If you get accepted, well, that's a good sign that perhaps you should be a pastor. And if, if you don't get accepted for readmission, then you have your answer. I thought, well, there's a lot of wisdom in that. So I applied and got accepted. So, I, But rather than go back to the seminary full-time, I went back part-time. So I continued working in my career so I could provide for my family and pay my expenses. And at the time, the seminary still had tuition for MDiv students. And so I had to pay my tuition. So the, my job became the way of me being able to get the seminary education that I needed. It just took a little longer because mm-hmm. I was taking one, two classes at a time, and which was actually was kind of nice in a way too because I could really digest that. But I also had to balance a full-time job and family with studies. So again, it took, took a little bit longer, but that just means I have more classmates than the average seminary student does. <laughs> so upon your study, upon finishing your studies at seminary, then what, well, I guess you never really finish your studies, but you finish your time at seminary, right? Because you're always studying I as com- a pastor. I completed my coursework. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> then you go into the practical experience. Tell us about that because then you went into vicarage, right, which right. is practical experience. You're not done entirely with seminary sure. until you've completed vicarage and maybe well, some in, other stuff. In my case, I requested a deferred vicarage so I can continue this part-time studies while working full-time. And, uh, and it was granted. So I deferred my vicarage to my fourth year. So mm-hmm. I didn't have to go to vicarage and come back. And, and my vicarage was kind of an unusual vicarage, the circumstances where they really needed somebody who could hit the ground running. And the, the pastor who had been in the congregation for 22 years passed away. There was a pastor who was new to the congregation who needed help. He reached out to the seminary and he said, here's a guy who's second career he was very active as a lay person. He did well in his academics, 
we think he can hit the ground running and really be a, a help to you. So my, my vicarage was basically start doing the work. And it wasn't designed to be a convertible vicarage, but it ended up that way. I got called to that congregation as the pastor of evangelism. So evidently, I guess if you're going to say, did you pass vicarage or not? That's the ultimate test of <laughs> passing vicarage is that they actually call you and say, we want you to be our pastor. So, so vicarage was a big transition because many students who go to the seminary experience that a change of life, loss of income, all those things that come with going from your career into the seminary. I deferred all that too. So mm-hmm. I suddenly was a vicar making $12,000 a year instead of a high-paid defense industry employee. So there was a lot of adjustments going on in our family life as we moved from Indiana to Florida for Vicarage. But, you know, God was gracious and provided, and we never went without. And just a, a quick funny story about that. If we were, as we were weighing all this and, and the tr- really impact of it, we were packing up stuff that we were going to move to Florida, but a lot of food items and, and things like, oh, mom, there's all the open peanut butter and ketchup and mustard and all the things <laughs> you got to give away or throw away because you can't move them across the country. And we're like, how are we going to be able to afford to replace all this with this $12,000 salary? And when we got down to the congregation, they had had a, a pantry shower for us. And it wasn't particularly well organized because we ended up like, 20 jars of peanut butter and 40 bottles of ketchup and, and 20 jars of mustard. It's like God was just saying, you didn't have to worry about it. You know, I have an abundance for you. And even though you can't see how I'll provide, I'll provide more than you ask for and even more than you imagine. So the the congregation certainly welcomed you and that congregational life going from somewhat of academic life on, on seminary campus to now living there in this, this full practical experience with your congregation. How does, how do you see the congregation being a part of that formation of the pastor? You get to do vicarage and then you also receive a call to that same congregation. How does that parish life form you as a pastor as well? That's really interesting because I came as a vicar. I was the first ever vicar and the last ever vicar at that congregation. I don't know what that says about my vicar. Set the bar. <laughs> yeah. It was the best vicar they ever had and the worst vicar they ever had at the same time. So the congregation really wasn't familiar with a vicar, so they just treated me like a pastor from day one. And I, I came to the parish with all this experience as an active lay person, active lay leader, thinking, I really know what this is all about. But I learned that from the pastor's perspective and, and the role of the pastor there's a whole new dynamic, a whole new set of dynamics. And the congregation was very supportive and loving. And I hadn't actually preached a sermon to a real congregation more than once or twice during my during my field work at the seminary. So I had to learn how to preach. The congregation was accustomed to a very dynamic preacher, and now they got me. So, <laughs> so they were— Was that intimidating? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I was intimidated. I just— it, the the wonderful thing about not knowing what you're doing is you don't realize you're don't know what you're doing. <laughs> so, so I, you know, but you know they were encouraging and, and and there were people who were willing to be candid with me in a very loving way, and and let me grow and help me grow, and so so there there was that aspect of being a vicar when I was called to be a pastor at the same congregation. It that didn't end. It wasn't like oh. I, you sometimes hear people say, well, make all your mistakes while you're a vicar. 
because, you know, you, you can just say, I'm the vicar. <laughs> what do I know? I'm a vicar. But I, they didn't treat me like the vicar anymore when I became a pastor, but they didn't stop being loving and supportive. Well, most of them. There's always, a, always an exception <laughs> or two, which is a little eye-opening as well. And I think the, the thing I learned really very quickly was everybody in the congregation is broken. You, you come to Sunday morning worship service and you see everybody smiling and the family dressed in nice clothes and 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 then you get to know the people as their pastor and you see how broken everyone really is and and they, and they invite you into that brokenness in such a an intimate connection that you make with people as a lay leader in a congregation I knew about issues but I didn't understand or experience that dynamic that the pastor had where he was there with the people in their suffering, in their brokenness. But it doesn't show, that doesn't show up on your pastor's report to the elders with the, how many visits you made and, and how many funerals you've done. And it really brought a whole new dimension to my experience as a, as a Christian, caring, loving, and, and going, walking alongside of other Christians. And what, what a privilege to be invited in by a family, by an individual to, uh, to be a part of. A part of their most intimate moments as a family, from, from the joyful birth of children to saying goodbye to a loved one who is breathing their last breath, and you're there. We are talking with Reverend Dr. Mark Wood on his adventures as a pastor and seminarian, what that life looks like as part of our Set Apart to Serve series conversations here on the Coffee Hour. We'll continue the conversation in just a moment. I'm Andy Bates. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live uncommon. Welcome back to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. We are continuing our conversations in the Set Apart to Serve series. Our guest today, the Reverend Dr. Mark Wood. He is Managing Director for Church Planting, Renewal, and Support in the LCMS Office of National Mission. But he has a, a beautiful history before serving in, in an office, an administrative or leadership office like this, serving as a parish pastor, an evangelist, a church planter, and before that, a career in the, the defense industry as well. How do you see many of those things, like especially your your career before going to seminary, as playing a part in in that shaping the, you and the the gifts and talents that you have to then serve as a pastor? It's actually really amazing to me, is in retrospect, it's almost like God knew what He was doing in my life. Yeah, <laughs> I when I left from my vicarage. I actually worked up to the day that we packed a truck and moved down to the vicarage. I mean, it, and so I worked right up to the very end. And when I when I walked out of had become Raytheon Corporation, I said, "I'm done with all that. All right, that's the end. It's the past." And and I went down and focused on learning how to be a pastor and serving God's people. 
And part of that was planting a new church. A congregation decided we need to plant a daughter church to reach these people in, in a neighboring community. And as a church planter, suddenly all that training I had in process and tools and, and how to plan and execute projects started kicking in. And I was pretty like, wow, God, God equipped me for this. I, didn't, I have gifts, skills, experiences that a typical pastor doesn't have. And then I came to the Office of National Mission, I was called here, and all of it kicked in. I was trained as a trainer of adults, so adult learning techniques and how to put together training materials for adults, process tools, all the things that get incorporated into the resources that I have the privilege of creating for the Office of National Mission to be shared across the Synod. And it it really has been a case of God was preparing me for this role in ways that I couldn't imagine at the time and still look back on and marvel. So, Looking back at your time as a parish pastor, <clears throat> and, and I know that you value that because you're still involved in parish ministry, not, not just doing administrative things, but still involved in, in church planting and parish ministry as well with whatever time you have. <laughs> looking back on that, what can we do in congregations, what can we as congregations do to encourage men to consider a second career as a pastor? Probably the best thing that you could do if you're not already doing it is show a lot of love and support for your current church workers. People see church workers under a lot of stress and duress and if, if they see a congregation there loving and supporting them and encouraging them and helping them through all the challenges of ministry that we that church workers face today, that's a, a tremendous message to say, hey, if God is leading you into this idea of leaving your current career and going into full-time church work, there are going to be people there to hold you up. The old image of Aaron holding up the prophet's hands, right? But if they see your church workers under duress and people either not caring or adding to that duress, they're going to look at that and say, why would I want to do that? So that's a good first thing to do. And many congregations love their pastors and support their pastors, but they don't do it overtly enough. (laughs) Do it overtly. It's not just October as a pastor appreciation month, you know, that we'll buy him a gift, but demonstrate how you love your pastor, how you support him and his family. And, and that would encourage people, especially young people who, who see this, but also our second career pastors. I think the other thing is, of course, financially, it's a big commitment to leave a career and go to the seminary. Now, there's been a lot of help over the years at the seminaries themselves to alleviate some of the costs, but the seminaries can't alleviate all the costs. And if we can really be tangibly supportive of those people who go off to the seminary and say, we're, we're going to help carry this load and provide financially so you don't have to go into great debt and or even worry about where your next jar of peanut butter or your, your, who's, how we're going to replace this jar of mustard or squeeze bottle of ketchup because God does abide, provide abundantly. The other thing I would say is, is is actually start asking people, <laughs> encouraging people. Say, you, you're, our lay leaders especially, you, you've demonstrated a love for God's Word. You've shown leadership capabilities as a, as a lay person in a congregation. Have you ever considered? Because many people don't consider it. 
especially if, if you get a few years on you. You might be in your 30s or 40s and saying, well, it's too late for me to go to seminary. That's just for young people. I mean, one of my classmates at the seminary was entering the seminary in his 60s. Yeah. So uh, there's no limit on the age, right? I mean, how old was Abraham when he finally had Isaac, right? So God's not worried about how old you are. It, in the, the, church is in, the church is in need of church workers. I was ordained when I was 42. So I figured, well, I had at least 20 good years. Now that I'm older than that, I think well, I might have a couple more good years yet. So, <laughs> so you, never, you never know. It's never really too late mm-hmm. to consider, is God really calling me into the ministry to service people? And how has he equipped me through all my years of experience and training that can help me be a, a good pastor to God's people? All good points to, one, overtly show love and appreciation for your pastor. To, not just in October. <laughs> not just in October. To, to support financially when you can to help relieve some of that burden of the cost of, of education. And then three, to encourage, mm-hmm. to, to consider, to encourage that person to consider church work opportunities. I, I want to go back to the the first one about showing love to your pastor and, and appreciation, not just in October and how doing that overtly, you said you, you made a great point that quite often many of us have appreciation for our pastor, but we might not do that overtly. I, I think in addition to that, how we speak about our pastor, how we speak to our pastor, but also how we speak about our pastor. Maybe when we're not on the same page or don't really understand everything that our pastor is teaching or saying, how we speak about our pastor, obviously that comes back to the Eighth Commandment, but how we speak about our pastor can make a difference in how others in our congregation perceive church work and and particularly the office of the pastor. Absolutely. And I often say that the parking lot, paved or not, is not a a fourth and eighth commandment free zone. Okay, so after the meeting, there's Mm -hmm. always the the meeting. And there's where we can often encourage our pastors by speaking well of him amongst ourselves. Maybe we don't even agree with what came out of that meeting that night. Maybe we would have liked to have seen a different decision. But to say God has given us this pastor as a gift, not that we have to agree with him on everything, but we can we can still love and support him when there isn't agreement, uh, rather than make it, making it antagonistic. Pastors face a lot of significant challenges that most of the parishioners will never know about. So always put the best construction on that. I found myself in situations where if I could have spoken what I knew, but it had been shared with me in confidence and therefore I could not share it, it would have changed people's opinions instantly, but I couldn't and wouldn't. And I had to, had to bear the fact that they were upset with me or totally disagreed with what, what direction I was going to go with an issue, but they didn't know what I knew. And the pastor has to bear that burden of confidentiality. So it always goes back to that Eighth Commandment explanation, explain everything in the kindest way, especially when it comes to your pastor. That doesn't mean the pastor can't be wrong. I mean, I haven't been wrong yet. Uh, <laughs> sure, one day it'll happen. But I mean, I thought I was wrong once, but I was wrong. So, but, you know, we pastors make mistakes. Pastors need forgiveness. And we bear with each other and, and carry those as burdens. So don't fail to do that for your pastor. And, and let the pastor know, I, I don't agree with you, but I love you and I'll, I'll support you. Or, yeah, you really messed that up, but you're forgiven 
and I will I will bear that burden with you as a brother or sister in Christ. Final thoughts of what you might invite a man who's in a great career now, or maybe a not so great career right now, who might be considering a seminary and pastoral formation. What might you invite him to consider? Well, a little historical trivia for you that there was a register kept in the 16th century by at St. Mary's Lutheran Church of all the all the men who had become ordained pastors in the Lutheran Church once there was a Lutheran Church. I don't remember the exact numbers. Arthur Peepcorn wrote an essay on it, and he gives all the numbers. But it was the vast majority of the entries in that register had had an entry on a line that said previous occupation. That our church body started primarily based on second career pastors and life experience, learning and growing as a Christian, as a, as a leader in the congregation are all invaluable ex- experiences and qualifications for a person who wants to consider becoming a pastor. Don't dismiss anything that you've done in your secular life in terms of education and training and experience right down to your hobbies. Don't, don't dismiss those as unimportant or unrelated. God uses those things to shape you into the pastor he desires you to be where he intends to place you. So God is at work. Uh, if, you, if you hear him kind of calling you, feel him or tapping on your shoulder saying, I think I, might, I think I may consider becoming a pastor, take that to heart. Most of the guys I went to seminary with who were second career had similar stories. They said, you know, once upon a time I thought about becoming a pastor, but then I became this instead. But it just kept hounding me. It kept coming back to me. You should be a pastor. God wants you to be a pastor. And God finally won out. (laughs) Here I am at the seminary. Our guest today, the Reverend Dr. Mark Wood. The Reverend Dr. Mark Wood, Managing Director for Church Planting, Renewal, and Support in the LCMS Office of National Mission. You can learn more about Set Apart to Serve by visiting lcms.org slash SAS. Pastor Wood, thanks so much for being my guest today. Oh, great to be with you. You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support The Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you. Anytime. Anywhere. Anywhere.